I don't even know where to start. Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops. I'm your host, Paul Oren. You can catch Union Street Hoops on NWI.com, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And you can find me on Twitter, at NWI Oren, discussing all things Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. Well, it's been an interesting couple days surrounding the Valparaiso basketball program, and we're going to get to that. A little bit later on in the podcast, we've got Matt Crenshaw, a Ball State assistant coach, joining Matt Crenshaw will be a familiar name to some of the older Valpo fans out there as Matt Crenshaw hit the buzzer beater that sent IUPUI to the 2003 NCAA tournament, beating Valpo in the Mid-Continent Conference title game. And that may be the good news of this podcast. We'll be joined by Matt Crenshaw for about 25 minutes later on in the episode. And again, I, I think it'll be really interesting for those of you who are a bit older who've followed Valpo during that time, um, you know, revisionist history being what it is, Matt and I go back and forth a little bit. This He's he's of the belief that Valpo went to the NCAA tournament 12 times in a row. I actually said they'd went like seven times in a row, and I'd forgotten two years prior that Southern Utah had beaten Valpo in the uh, mid-con title game. But uh, Matt goes deep into talking about, about uh, playing for IUPUI and beating Valpo. We did the interview on Monday afternoon in the lobby of the uh, Hampton Inn and Suites where the uh, IUPUI, excuse me, where the Ball State basketball team was staying. Great uh, chat with Matt Crenshaw. And and for those, you know, I'll, I'll preview it a little bit and then we'll get into the other stuff. Uh, for those who don't know the story of Matt Crenshaw, and we touch on it a bit there, what was really fascinating is he was like 26, 27 years old when he hit that shot. He'd spent six years in the Navy and then he became a college basketball player. So he was kind of the, the the darling of the tournament. You know, whenever the NCAA tournament starts, they look for those really unique, interesting stories like Sister Jean at Loyola last year. There's always the human interest side, and Matt Crenshaw was certainly that. And, uh, and he knocked down the shot that beat Valpo. We touch on it a little bit, but then the next year, his senior year, Valpo came back and won to go back to the NCAA tournament. And it was actually Valpo was up two uh, late and IUPUI had the ball, or maybe Valpo was up three. It was a one possession game late, and Crenshaw turned the ball over. And uh, so Valpo got a little bit of sweet revenge there. So we'll touch on that later on. It's a fascinating interview. It's a great time talking to Matt Crenshaw. And uh, But I interviewed, I interviewed him a couple, about three or four hours before the Valpo Ball State game on Monday. And then Valpo went out and played that game turned around, flew to College Station, played Texas A&M, fell behind early in that game, ultimately lost two kind of pretty crushing defeats for Valpo. And now, I mean, the Barbarians are at the gate, right? And so we'll get to that. Uh, Let's go into this here. So Ball State, Texas A&M. Okay, Uh, I didn't think Valpo was going to win either one of these games, to be honest. So... Well, a, a lot of the you know people are Valpo fans are kind of on the edge right now, or maybe have already jumped over the edge. Uh, I I didn't think Valpo was going to win either one of these games. Ball State's a really good basketball team, right? They're going to win a lot of games in the MAC. They've won a lot of games against the Valley already this year. I thought playing at home was going to help Valpo. I thought that having a, a boost in season t- in, in tickets with this half price business they were doing. And there were a lot of people there uh, recorded attendance 
by the university was 3,636 people at the game. I don't know. I mean, whatever attendance numbers are, that's still the best crowd Valpo's had in quite a while. So good crowd should have been a lot of energy in the building. Now, the students weren't there. They brought, I think they brought in the Couts High School cheerleaders and maybe the band. That was nice. Um, I like that they're doing that, that they're reaching out and, and, and bringing some other people in. Uh, there were some people sitting in the student section. I don't know who they were. They weren't students. Students are gone. But, uh, you know, it, it, was a, it was an interesting, interesting game. Um, maybe more than I've ever seen a Valpo team get abused on, on defense against a similar team because Ball State's kind of a, you know, should be at the same level as Valpo, right? They're in the MAC. Valpo's now in the Valley. Now we can argue whether or not Valpo has a Valley team, and that's a conversation for maybe a little bit later on in the episode. But, you know, Valpo should should compete with Ball State night in and night out. Now, Ball State's a good team, and I just I thought that this was going to be, uh, you know, Ball State's going to thrive on playing in this environment. They're a battle-tested group coming into the game, and uh, not that Valpo wasn't. Valpo went on the road, won at UNLV in a great game. They shot the lights out at George Washington. They'd won some games that, you know, they haven't really delivered a complete performance at home against a Division One opponent yet. I thought this was going to be a good game. I thought Ball State would come out ahead. But the manner in which Ball State won the game was alarming to me. There were a couple points that I want to make here. The ability for Ball State to drive through the lane and get to the rim with ease was fascinating to me. Absolutely fascinating to me. Valpo just did not have strong defensive integrity in the game. Maybe that's a term. I don't know. I just put two words together. Valpo just did not play well at the rim. Ball State scored 48 of their points in the paint. In the first half, they they were, I mean, at one point, they'd scored 26 of 29 in the paint in the first half. And Valpo was in the game. It was tied 25-25. And then Ball State just goes on a run just late in the first half, last four minutes of the first half, they just go on this run. It's tied, you know, 25-25 after Marcus Golder knocked down a three-pointer with three and a half minutes left. And then Elamine makes a layup. Teague makes a layup. Teague got got fouled and, and, and did the and one. K.J. Walton with a fast break layup. Elamine with a three-pointer. And now they're up 10 going into the second half. Walton jump shot in the paint. Uh, and then you've got Teague with two free throws, Walton with a jump shot in the paint, Teague with another free throw, Gunn with a three-pointer, and it's 45-28. A game that was 25-25 is all of a sudden a 17-point, you know, it was a it was a brutal, brutal stretch for, I mean, it was a 20-3 run for Ball State. And Valpo clawed back, and I think at one point I tweeted out, here comes Valpo, they, they got... You know, they I think they got it down to single digits at one point, and uh, and it just it just couldn't they just couldn't get any closer, and it was uh, I mean it was tough, you know I mean it, they got it to uh, they got it to nine I think or ten it's whatever it was uh, they 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 just it wasn't good, and the the alarming thing that I saw was body language, one of the, one of the players that stood out to me as a boost was Daniel Sackey. 
played 15 minutes, had four points, three assists, and a rebound. But he also had five turnovers. And this is the issue with Daniel Sackey right now. He's a freshman. He's very fast, right? Sometimes people think, is he too fast for his own good? Reminds me of Eric Buggs when Eric Buggs was a freshman, right? A very, very fast guard who could see that he could get the spots quicker than other people. But were his teammates getting the spots? What was he going to do once he got to that spot? Now, as Eric Buggs went on, he cleaned that up. The speed was still there, and he then became a better decision maker as time goes on. That's what happens. You're right. Daniel Sackey, I think, is going to be an excellent, excellent point guard for this Valpo basketball team in the future. I really do. And Wally had five turnovers. And while he is not the kind of player that Dion Lavender is right now in terms of decision making, the speed of which Sackey has is great. Now, does that mean that you bench Lavender and you start Saki, or you bench Bakari Evelyn and you start Saki? There's still a lot of basketball to be played this year, and I don't know that anyone's throwing in the towel on this season. It's interesting. As, as I'm watching Valpo, I'm thinking about my Green Bay Packers right now. Uh, kudos to all of you Bears fans out there. Good win, you know, yada, 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 fine. Um, you know, the Packers are out of it. So do they play Aaron Rodgers this weekend, or do they play Deshaun Kaiser? Well, Aaron Rodgers is better than Deshaun Kaiser. And if you're in the business of trying to win football games, you play Aaron Rodgers. If you're in the business of trying to see what you have for young talent, maybe you you play the young talent and and you see. I mean, I don't think anyone's saying Deshaun Kaiser is going to take over for Aaron Rodgers anytime soon. So it's an interesting thing. It's, it's The corollary is not quite there. But I thought Saki, where he really shined— against Ball State, and he might have been one of the few who was really into it body language-wise. I'll give it to Kaiser as well. Kaiser kind of always is, you know, is, is, is a beneficial guy. Um, and there's actually a great moment. Uh, I, I mentioned this. I broadcasted the game, uh, filled in on WVUR. There was a moment when when Bakari either had, uh, I, th- I think there was a foul, a call he didn't like or something. He got taken out of the game. And, uh, and and he's kind of sulking over to the bench, and Kaiser gets up and get, goes to give him a high five, and Bakari just kind of slumps down on the chair and leans back. He's clearly despondent with the way the game is going. He's missed three three-pointers. He's really kind of struggling in the game. And Kaiser kind of goes to give him a high five, and, and there's no reciprocity there. So Kaiser turns around and walks down the end of the bench and just starts slapping five with all the managers before he sits down. And finally, at one point, he kind of leans over again to like tap Bakari on the on the thigh and, and you know, give him a high five. And I think finally then they, they had a little bit of that. Throughout the game, Daniel Sackey was 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 uh, was clapping, was cheering. When he made a play, he uh, another really great moment of the game. He, I think, he laid it in one of the lightning fast uh, moves to the basket, laid it in, and uh, and and he started clapping his hands really loud, giving a boost to the arc crowd a little bit, and the ball kind of uh, bounced on the ground and landed by his feet, and he did not pick up the ball to throw it to the def- to the inbounder. He just let it sit there. Well, Persons didn't pick up the ball either. And I don't know if it was Mallers or Gunn, whoever was inbounding it, but like everyone just kind of let the ball sit there for a second. Finally, the ref comes over, picks it up, and hands it to uh, to the inbounder. I just I thought that was uh, that was kind of a, a little bit of a of a, a big time from Saki there. I like that moment. Uh, everything else in the game was awful. 
Valpo shoots three of 16 from the three-point line. They get out-rebounded 35-27. to They give up 48 points in the paint. They commit 17 turnovers. They only had nine assists. It was one of the most discombobulated games that I'd seen. Marcus Golder played well, knocked down a pair of three-pointers, 14 points, four rebounds, and 29 minutes off the bench. Derek Smits was really non-existent in the game, played nine minutes, four fouls, three turnovers, only had one basket, only made one shot at two shot attempts. We saw a bit more of Soroya, 25 minutes, fouled out, six rebounds, three points, uh, one of five from the floor, just no real offense from the five spot for Valpo. Put Malik McMillan in there for four minutes. He played a little bit of George Washington, didn't do really anything in those four minutes, had a rebound and a foul. Kaiser came in at the end, played, you know, finished out the game at the five spot. Ball State did whatever they wanted to do in getting to the basket, and it was over and over and over again. And so watching that game in person, I'm I come away with this idea of what was the biggest problem? Was it Ryan Fazekas going one of nine from the three-point line, Bakari Evelyn going over three, Javon Freeman missing both of his. I mean, right there, those are maybe the big three. You throw in Golder because you know some nights Golder's right there, the best offensive weapon they have. On some nights, other nights he's not. And uh, and and but the big three, I guess, in the starting lineup, go one of fourteen from the three-point line. And so I asked Fazekas after the game. I just said, look, is it and, and I kind of asked Matt Lodick this after the Texas A&M game, too. I mean, we'll, we'll, it's a recurring theme. If just a couple shots go in, does that kind of cure everything? And Fazekas kind of said, look, yeah, I mean, we shot bad, but our defense creates our offense. And it's a good it's a good line. Put it on a T-shirt, right? Defense creates offense. Valpo's defense was atrocious against Ball State. In turn, their offense was not very good. Shot 40% from the floor, 18.8% from the three-point line. They did shoot 78% from the free-throw line, and they got to the free-throw line a lot in the second half, and that's what allowed them to maybe inch back in a little bit. But uh, it just was not not a good, good game. You know, 13 points off turnovers for Valpo, 27 points off turnovers for Ball State. It just was a, it's a brutal, brutal game. So what I asked afterward, I said to Ryan Fazekas, I said, is it a good thing that you're going to Texas A&M in 48 hours because you can kind of essentially burn the tape of the Ball State game and hope that, you know, you, you, you have a good showing at Texas A&M. You've played well on the road, UNLV, George Washington, fought hard at West Virginia for a stretch, fought hard, you know, in at in, uh, in, in, in Myrtle Beach, uh, you know, neutral court games. But maybe this is just one of those unique teams that fares better on the road than they do at home. And they go into Texas A&M. And first possession of the game, Bakari Evelyn knocks down a three-pointer. I was sitting at home watching the game, and I just kind of laughed. I was like, of course he does. Nobody could hit anything against Ball State. Valpo's going to go off in this game, right? Bakari knocks down an early three-pointer. But then there's a part of me that's like, wait a minute. If you knock down the first three, typically, you know, some, you know, there's, a, there's an adage in sports like you just need to see the first one go in, and then then you're dialed in. But sometimes, and and I can tell you this from from when I played, and and I didn't play much, but if I'd hit the first shot, oh, I just I'd keep on shooting, right? You know, I just I I'd, I'd keep going, and 
you know, I do that. I like, I like to play poker sometimes. You're like, you win that first hand. You, just, you think you're going to win every hand. It just doesn't work that way, right? And so there's a part of me that was like, well, wait a minute. If he hits that first shot, he's going to keep taking shots. Are they all going to go in? He, Bakari went two of nine from the three-point line. Every shot that he took was a three-pointer. And Valpo was taking deep shots. Bakari was taking deep shots. Javon Freeman, who went 0 of 3 from the three-point line, was taking deep shots. Marcus Golder went 0 of 3 of the three-point line, taking deep shots. Fizikas, 0 of 3 from the three-point line, deep shots. 3 of 22 from the three-point line. One of those makes was from Malik McMillan, who got a couple minutes at the end of the first half, comes in, knocks down a three-pointer, gets a shot at the basket toward the end, five straight points for Valpo, and then doesn't see the court until late in the second half. And and but Valpo what did make a run a little bit in the second half. You know, I I, I can't really, you know, criticize the substitution patterns or anything in the second half. Valpo made a run. They 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 locked down on defense for a little bit there. They got the ball, they got it down to eleven. I mean, they were down fifteen six minutes into seven minutes into the game. I mean, it was twenty to five. I mean, it's one thing when you're losing sixty to forty five, like that's a bad fifteen point deficit, but twenty to five, yeesh. That's hard. That's 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 rough. Valpo just, you know, Bakari knocks down that shot, and then 20 of the next 22 points comes from Texas A&M. And, you know, same old story. Out-rebounded 38-30. to 30. 25 points off turnovers for Texas A&M. Now, Valpo did share the ball a little bit better. They had 12 assists on 18 makes. But they had 16 turnovers. Texas A&M had 16 turnovers. Texas A&M didn't play great in the game. But they got 30 points in the paint, 22 for Valpo, 10 fast break points, 9 for Valpo. So a lot of that stuff was was equaled out. But Texas A&M knocked down three-pointers, 9 of 26. They took a lot, but they're 35% from the three-point line. They got to the line 18 times. Valpo got there 14 times. The, there were some not great calls in the beginning of the game. For a long stretch there, Valpo had four guys with four fouls. I think it ended that way. Yes, you got... Freeman, Bakar Evelyn, Fizikas, and Jay Soroya all had four fouls. Derek Smith's played 26 minutes, four of seven from the floor, eight points, six rebounds, a little bit more offense there. Uh, Jay Soroya played 10 minutes, one of two from the floor, three rebounds, three steals for Jay Soroya. Thought he did well getting his hand in the, on the ball in the in, in interior. But, again, just a brutal start to the game. Dion Lavender, one of seven from the floor, did have four rebounds and four assists and a steal, but just kind of a struggle there. Six turnovers for Bakari Evelyn. Played 31 minutes. Played more than anybody else on the floor. Um, two tough, tough games for Valpo. Now they come home. They've got a week and a half off. Or, you know, they got they got nine days off, and then they're going to play Purdue Northwest. Which, look, I'm not counting any chickens at this point, but that's a game Valpo should win. Purdue Northwest is three and eight at a different level. Valpo is going to win that game, but it's not. What's it, what's it going to mean? What do you? So what's the point of that game now? What do you want as Valpo fans? What do you want to say? I mean, first of all, are you even going to go to the game? Right? You're like the 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 fervor of Valpo fans that I've seen on social media over the last 24 hours, and really over the last you know 18 hours or so. Has been uh, it's palpable, right? Valpo fans are pissed, and they're and they should be, right? I mean, you know, it, it's, but it's it's interesting. I was, I was having a discussion 
the other day with my girlfriend. We're we're listening. We're in Milwaukee, and uh, we watch the Packers Bears game, and. I'm listening to sports talk radio on the ride home afterwards. I watched the game with my mother. We had a little Christmas thing there. And uh, and look, I'm a diehard Packer fan. The, and I've said this, the way that I'm guessing, if you're listening to this podcast, the way that you feel about Valpo, I feel about the Green Bay Packers. That's my team. And you feel that way about the Bears or whatever. But, like, you know, the passion that, that fans who come up to me and all that have for Valpo, I, I feel for the Packers. And even so... Uh, after the Packers lost to the Seahawks in the 2014 NFC title game, I've tried to not let things bother me in sports because, quite frankly, uh, I can't control it and, uh, and, and in that. So we're listening to Sports Talk Radio, and a guy from, from you know northern Wisconsin calls in and says, this is unacceptable. And he was really fired up, right, really fired up about losing to the Bears. And, and that's just, that's what it is, right? Like, I mean, the Packers don't lose to the Bears, right? Um, it's just, you know, just like Valpo never lost to Oakland, right? Or, or Valpo, Valpo didn't lose to Chicago State, right? Um, and again, apologies if I'm offending you Bears fans out there, but like the Packers have not for a long time lost to them. And all the, you know, this one particular guy, this is unacceptable, can't happen. And I'm just thinking, man, like, People are pissed. And I saw the same level of anger coming from Valpo fans on Twitter, on the Valpo message board, social media, looking at the despondent faces filing out of the arc with a couple minutes to go on Monday night. People are pissed. And I don't know the answer. The, the, the Valpo message board is filled with the most passionate Valpo fans, right? Um, and there's extremes. The highs are really high and the lows are really low. And just as Twitter isn't necessarily a good barometer for what's going on in the world, nor is a message board, but it gives you a temperature, right? I don't think it's it's to be completely ignored. I know they often say don't read the comment section, stay off the message board, all that stuff. But, like, these are people who are really invested. And the people are criticizing the coaching. They're criticizing the talent. They're criticizing almost every facet. You know, they're criticizing the university. People are getting real fired up about this Crusaders thing because there's not some inflatable thing out there. Like, there's a lot of things out there. And I'm not here to tell you that any of that stuff is wrong. I'm, I, I, it's hard for me to sit here in this chair and tell you what the fix is. I stopped playing basketball in eighth grade, right? Like, I, I mean, stop playing competitive, organized, refereed, officiated basketball in eighth grade. I don't have the talent to go out there and I mean, I'm going O of 11 in that game from the three point line. And that's not even true. I'm not even getting into the game, let alone getting a chance to take one, two or 11 shots, right? Flip it to coaching. It's really hard for me to sit here and criticize coaches, right? Because I, I, they're going to do better than I can do any day of the week. And this is the weird, the strange disconnect of being a fan or being a journalist or anything like that. Like, if I could be a Division One basketball coach and I had the answers, last I checked, it pays a lot better than being a podcaster, right? It does. So, and I'm not, but I'm, I'm also at the same time, I'm not saying that you as the fans who are listening don't have a right to be upset about whatever it is, whether it be the hustle, whether it be the play calling, whether it be 
too much dribbling that doesn't lead to any open looks, whether it be whatever it may be, right? Like, I'm I'm trying to put myself in the position of the fan because I sit here and I look at, like, the Green Bay Packers, right? And, and again, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry because I know a lot of you are, are, like, you love the fact the Packers struggle, but it's the only, again, corollary that I've got. I get irate when I watch the Packers and I see Aaron Rodgers snap the ball with a second or less left on the play clock. You're giving the opposition the chance to tee off on you, and and basically they're going to go full bore because they have to. If you snapped it with six left or four left or three left and varied it up a little bit, but again, I'm not a quarterback. I don't know what – I mean, why don't they snap it with six seconds left? They're standing at the line the entire time. Maybe he needs that time to figure that out. I think why doesn't Valpo cut to the basket quicker – but maybe they're spending this entire time moving pieces around on the chessboard, so to speak, to get the matchup they need so they can curl off and knock down a three-pointer. Those shots just aren't going in right now. I, and and that seems to be the, the big question. If the shots were going in, would that, would, would that cure everything? Like, the, you know, so again— I, I'm, I'm, I kind of walked into this thinking I'm going to talk about the Packers a little bit. A couple of weeks ago, the Packers were struggling. Aaron Rodgers, well, they've been struggling all year, but Aaron Rodgers said, you know, we're just looking for that one galvanizing moment, right? And I don't know what that is for Valpo basketball. I thought maybe the George Washington game was going to be it. Ryan Fazekas knocking down six three-pointers. Bakari Evelyn knocking down six three-pointers and 27 points. Looked like that was going to be it. And... They combined against Texas A&M, those two, to shoot 2 of 12 from the three-point line. Against Ball State, they went 1 of 12 from the three-point line. Valpo shot 18% against Ball State. They shot 13% from the three-point line against Texas A&M. Yes, they're saying defense creates offense, and that's true. But at some point, the shots have got to fall. And if the shots aren't falling, well, then you got to figure out what to do. Right. And and this is where I don't I don't have that answer. Derek Smith's was working out pretty well earlier in the year. Now, that, that doesn't mean they're not trying to get the ball to Derek Smith's. They're certainly trying to get and he took seven shots against Texas A&M against a pretty big team. You get put the ball in the hand of your athletes, Javon Freeman and Marcus Golder, two guys that can get to the rim. Pretty, pretty good. Both took eight shots against Texas A&M. Just the three pointers aren't falling right now. How different is that George Washington game if the three-pointers don't fall, right? They won 82-79 to because they shot 15 of 27 from the three-point line. Imagine that's 5 of 22 from the three-point line. Well, that's, that's a blowout, right? If they shoot 5 of 22 from the three-point line, you know, I mean, all of a sudden we're looking at a 24-point at a loss if, they, if you take away 10 three-pointers. So put in a couple other three-pointers against Ball State. Put in five three-pointers. What does that do? Well, that gets you to a—I'm bad at math. That gets you to a 77-76 loss. Put in, you know, I guess you'd need a lot more than five three-pointers. But it was, a, it was an 11-point game in the middle of the second half, and, and Valpo kind of like pushing the rock up the mountain— and then it keeps falling back, and it, it just Valpo never really recovered there. Valpo got beat by 16 in the first half against Texas A&M, and they played with them in the second half. Now, did Texas A&M take their foot off the, the gas? 
Well, not really. I mean, they were they were they were rolling down the down the stretch of the game there. You know, I mean, they were they were firing on all cylinders, and it was a really it was a late sixteen to three run that that put that away. Look, if you came here today looking for the answer, I don't have it. All I know is that the three pointers aren't falling, and that seems to be something that you, okay, you got to get in the gym. One of the things Matt Lodick said last night was we got to get back in the gym with our practice schedule and all of that. We just haven't been able to get in there. Okay. In between George Washington and Ball State, there was a week off. More than that. Nine days off, 10 days off, something like that. Uh, nine days off. Now, I know final exams were there. So you study for finals. You take your final. You go to the gym. You put up a bunch of shots. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know the answer. I do know that Valpo is shooting 32% from the three-point line right now. That's a number they'd like to see up there. You know, Fizikas is below 40% now. It's at 39. Javon Freeman is below 30%. Bakari Evelyn's below 30%. So Marcus Golder is at 38%. Ryan Fizikas is at 39%. Those two guys are hitting three-pointers. Kind of. Right? I mean, that's, that's a good clip, right? I mean, it. I, I, you know, I, I think in college, like, what's the, what's the market should be at? If you're a good three-point shooter, is it 40%? Is it 45%? You know, I don't I don't know. Certainly below 30 is tough. If you're shooting below 30% from the three-point line, you probably shouldn't have 72 attempts like Bakari Evelyn has right now. Bakari's taken 125 shots, more shots than anybody else on the on the team. He's shooting 34%, which is the lowest mark on the team behind Daniel Sackey, of course, the guy that I'd been advocating for actually you know who's got a lower percent it doesn't really count because he only played six games jay soroya is four of 12 from the field right now jay soroya was shooting 70 percent in practice uh going you know and maybe that says something about who he's going against but but soroya was unbelievable before he injured his ankle he'll get back into it you know he's played six games he's played 72 minutes he's just not quite there the shooting is just not there and then you look and see, well, if, is it the defense then? Okay, well then they got to shore up some things on defense, and that was never anything that I was ever any good at. So I don't, I don't know the answers there. I just know that here's what I would have done, and and this this harkened me back to a conversation I had with Bobby Capabianco the morning after Detroit beat Valpo in the I think it was the 2012 Horizon League title game. In that game. Detroit pounded the ball inside. I don't even remember all the guys on that team. Was it Kalist and Minarath and Holman and uh, obviously McCallum, Chase Simon, I think. All these names are are kind of coming back to me. And they pounded the ball inside. Kevin Van Vyke went down with an injury, kind of flopped around on the ground for a little bit, was out with an injury. I I don't even think – maybe he came back in the game, but there was just – there was really no grittiness or toughness on the floor. And I, I remember coming into the arc the next day, and I saw Capobianco getting shots up. And I said to him, what did you think about last night's game? And he said, I ought to put somebody on the floor. Someone drives to the basket, I ought to put them on the floor. And we saw this later on. I think Bobby have a, uh, Bobby have a big foul at, uh, at Detroit like the next year. He put somebody on the ground, I think. I know Richie Edwards did that at one point. I think, no, Bobby, I think, did it. Uh, it might have got ejected from the game. And, uh, yeah, it was Doug Anderson was going to go up for a three uh, for a windmill dunk, and I think 
Capobianco came down and flattened him. I think he got ejected. That was the game where I think ultimately Valpo came back in a huge rally and, uh, and, and won that game, one of my favorite Valpo games ever. Um, I, I thought to myself, Ball State driving down the center of the lane nonstop. I ought to put Malik McMillan in the game or John Kaiser in the game or somebody, you know, Langston wasn't dressed but uh, had was ill. I ought to put somebody in the game at the beginning of the second half let one of those guys drive down the middle of the lane. I just would have flattened him. Take the technical, whatever you know. If you're gonna come into the lane, you're gonna you're gonna feel it. And that's that. Maybe that's not the right way to approach basketball, but that's what I would have done. I would have I would and, and I don't know if that's coaching or if that's if if that's just should be a player that does that. I, you don't want to freestyle, but that's what I would have done. I would have just assaulted somebody on the court. I didn't play very much. That was almost kind of my job when I played in, you know, eighth grade. Hey, Oren, go in there, follow this guy, let him let him feel it. Okay, coach, cool. Come back to the bench. I did my job. How come I'm not playing more? Because you fouled out in six minutes. Okay, good. I did my job. Look, that guy's crying over there. Whatever. Okay. I like. I'm not here for violence, but I'm here for saying if you're gonna keep driving down the center of the lane, I'm gonna make it painful for you, and. That's what I would have done, and when that didn't happen, I just I thought that was I thought that was tough, you know. Like, and and again, maybe that was the message in the half. Maybe that was hey, we got to be more aggressive in in the uh, in the paint. But like, I would have I would have liked a foul and stand over the guy, give me a technical, knock me out, whatever. That's what I would have looked for. Um, maybe I'm old school. Or, or whatever. I, you know, my, my father, we talk all the time, and, and uh, he's a big baseball guy. And when a guy pimps a home run, he doesn't understand why they don't throw at the next guy. I'm like, Dad, you can kill somebody with a baseball. He's like, don't, don't show off a home run. I don't care. And uh, I guess the advantage of being 63 years old, right? Uh, he, gets to, uh, he gets to say those things. Um, you know, against Texas A&M, you know, Valpo, they fought in the second half. And, and we asked Matt Loddick after the game, and he said that after Ball State, they challenged them to be grittier and to be tougher. And, you know, then he goes on to kind of say what he said other times. Uh, you know, we, we, when the shots don't fall, it's going to be bad. And, and no one, and as I said, when, when, when the shots don't fall, it's human nature to have that affect every other part of the game. And a line that he's repeated a lot is, look, the guys aren't trying to miss shots. They don't want to miss shots. And he did go on to say that he thought that they took good shots. Now, that may be a question there. I'd actually, you know, willing to maybe revisit that conversation with him after he's had a chance to look at the film. Because I thought there were some deep, deep shots that were taken. But, again, maybe that was the best look they were going to get at that at that point. And all of these guys have shown that they can hit deep shots and— they just aren't doing it in games right now. Look, I don't, I, I don't have the answers, and I, I think a lot of Valpo fans are re- again they're pissed. They're pissed for any number of reasons. This is a roster right now that was recruited to play in the Horizon League, and you can argue that point that you know the Horizon League, the Valley, whatever. Um, there's a lot of guys on this team that weren't recruited to play in the Valley. And I don't – look, I say that, and I and I almost kind of even am crossing my fingers as I say it, like, you know, jinx. It's kind of – it seems like a cop-out. But, but 
maybe that there's some legitimacy to that, I guess. I, you know, these guys are – and look, they haven't – it's not like they're going against Valley teams yet. That's going to come, and that will be a whole other list of conversations. But, you know, Freeman certainly is a high-level guy. Lavender was a guy that was going to play at a D2 this year. And and they've now he's starting. And look, he's got the talent. There's nobody on here that's going to listening that's going to say that he doesn't have the talent because he does. Um, you know, Saki, I think is going to be really, really good. Kari Evelyn played at Nebraska. He transferred. You know, when Valpo was a Horizon League team, he transferred. But he's if he played in the Big Ten, recruited to the Big Ten, should be able to play in the Valley. Marcus Golder, I, I, I don't think anyone's going to argue with Marcus Golder. I think what I'm seeing people say is. Marcus Golder should be starting. There should be a change in the starting lineup. Jay Soroya, Derek Smiths, those two guys, you know, recruited to play in the Horizon League, and they're they're Jay, better defender. Derek, better offensive player. What you know, D- Derek's taken big, big strides this season. I'll be curious to see how these guys play in the Valley. Malik McMillan, um, you know, was I guess probably was re- was recruited when I have to go back and check the time but when Valpo was in the Horizon League but now he's in the Valley and and I, look I don't have the answers from Malik right I mean starts the season opener and hasn't started since hasn't played a couple games comes in scores five points and and uh you know then doesn't play much in the second half until late in the game and then uh Fizikas is a guy that played at Providence started at Providence should be able to to get it done here it's just meshing all of the talent together. A lot of people criticizing coaching, right? A lot of people are going out and saying, well, why wasn't there a national search when when Bryce Drew left? Well, there, you know why there wasn't a national search. The team that was coming back was loaded. And if you do a national search and you bring in somebody that you don't know, a lot of those guys might have left, right? A lot of those guys being Alec Peters, best player to ever play in a Valpo uniform, next to Bryce Drew, if not eclipsing Bryce Drew. I never saw Bryce play a game. Alex got the better numbers. That's an argument that's, you know, a LeBron Jordan argument. So they they were loaded that year, right? Looked like they could have got Keith Carter back. Looked like, you know, Jabril should have been available. That whole team was going to be loaded, right? They just went on this great run. There a lot of them are coming back, losing a couple guys. But, you know, the Butler model, right, the consistency, it made sense. It certainly made sense to keep the, the, the current vibe going. And I'm never going to be one that's going to sit here and tell you that a coach should be fired. It's not my place. I don't. I, a, I don't think it. B, even if I did think it, it just wouldn't be my place. And uh, it, it just I, – I think coaches – I think most Valpo coaches get four-year contracts – and I think they, you know, after you get to the end of year three, I think there's a, you know, you you extend a little bit. It's typically what we've seen. I, I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, but I think you need a full recruiting cycle. And, you know, Valpa brought in Javon Freeman this year. Loddick brought in Javon Freeman, who is a superb player. He's a freshman, but you have to, you look at him and you know that there's talent there. Now, I'm going to end with this before we get to uh, Matt Crenshaw, which I, I think is going to be really kind of a nice, nice uh, conversation. And I've been going on here. This is going to be a long podcast. we over an hour. It's one more non-conference game and then in the conference play. Valpo has got a lot of juniors on their team. 
and if you've paid any attention to the way that Val, that paid any attention to the way that college basketball works, juniors are graduating and going to other places. People are pointing at Valpo saying, oh, they've only got one senior. They're only going to lose one guy. They're going to be loaded next season. I don't know. You've got junior after junior after junior after junior on this team, and I'm guessing many of them are going to be eligible to graduate if they haven't already. Derek Smith's graduated a couple weeks ago. A couple other guys. So it, you've got to recruit your own players year in and year out. This idea that Valpo is going to be loaded next season because they've got all this talent that, you know, I mean, where are these these guys could go, right? I, and I'm not saying that it's going to happen. I'm just saying that, like, it it's the nature of college basketball. Look at the tr- look at the grad transfer list every year; it's growing. And now this idea of of waiver free transfers, it's the, I'm just saying this because there's there's always a lot of recruiting flux. Homer Drew used to always say, "Recruiting is like shaving. If you miss a day, you look like a bum." Valpo's got their own players they got to recruit. They got to go out there and they got to recruit other people. And they're hitting the road hard, right? There's there are guys out there that they're looking at, and and they've been in on a handful of guys who just have chosen other places. And that you know they were in on Brandon Newman. I'll just it'll be the one name that I'll mention, the Valpo high, high kid that uh, it was down between Purdue and and Valpo. Uh, Brandon Newman practically lived at the Ark, you know, and but he's going to go play in the Big Ten. And and I think if you're Valpo, wish him well. Great, you know. But it's just uh, you know the 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 the, t- the coaches are doing their job recruiting, right? They're they're finding guys like Freeman, like Saki, like Dion Lavender. They're putting the players out there. Now the question from the fans, it seems to be, is you're getting all these guys. What are you doing with them? A lot of coaches get that. John Calipari gets that all the time. Scott Drew got that a lot. Right, Scott Drew changed the way that that Baylor recruited and 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 just put them on the map. And and a lot of people say, oh, he can't coach. Bad X's and O's coach. Got to the elite eight a couple times. A lot of bad days for the Scott Drew can't coach crowd. Anyways, I've rambled. I've probably not made you feel any better about this whole thing. I you know, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to watch conference play. I got Matt Crenshaw for you. I'm going to play this interview at the end of it. When I say farewell to him, I'm not going to come back and say anything because it's been too long of a podcast already. Enjoy your family. Enjoy the Christmas presents. God bless you all. Come back on the 29th. Come to the Ark. I, w- should there be starting lineup changes? Should they take Bakari out, put Golder in? I, I, I don't know the answer. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. But I, even, even then, what are you going to learn in that game? And are you going to have a second straight year where you go into conference and you're hitting the reset button like they did last year when they lost Joe Burton? I don't know the answer. After that Purdue Northwest game, before conference play starts, we'll review the over-unders. I'll give out some midterm grades, uh, mid-season grades. We'll kind of have that fun episode where we take a look at all that stuff. And uh, you know what? Merry Christmas, everybody. Here's Matt Crenshaw from Ball State Assistant Coach, IUPUI legend. I think you'll enjoy this. Thank you all for listening. Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know what you guys think. Have a great holiday season, everybody.
Happy to be joined right now by Ball State assistant coach Matt Crenshaw. And coach, you, you're going to play Valpo later on tonight, but you've got a lot of experience with Valpo dating back to your college career. You played at IUPUI. You've hit the most famous, one of the most famous shots in IUPUI history, if not the most famous, uh, ending Valpo's run of going to the NCAA tournament like every year for like seven years. Uh, first of all, uh, Ball State, you know, how, how excited is it? You, you've been at IUPUI, you're a coach a long time. How excited are you to be at Ball State? We'll get into the old stuff in a little bit. Oh, I'm really excited, man. The opportunity presented itself, and it was something that, you know, I kind of had to jump on for myself for, um, you know, for my career, being able to see something different, be at a different place, uh, learn some different things, learn a different way, uh, see a different program. Uh, even though, you know, IUPUI is kind of home, for me, but you know, it was time for me kind of to step out on the branch per se. You played there, uh, you went overseas, you played for a bit, I think, and then you went at IUPUI as a coach for 11 years, was that right? 11, and you know, I was really around the program really since I left in 05, really, 04. You know, I went overseas and played and um, went back, you know, for another season. But then after that, I was kind of around, I kind of volunteered a little bit for a year, and then uh, opportunity presented itself as you know the director of basketball operations and then just kind of work my way up from we'll there. get we'll get to the 2003 game in a little bit because that's a that's a fun one but i mean you were never supposed to be a college basketball player right i mean you you weren't in the, <laughs> Na the navy right correct it was in the navy uh kind of out of high school um i left texas uh, my, my stepdad retired from the army okay and so i left uh fort hood texas i was down at uh ellison high school down there i left at the end of my junior year I went back home to, to Virginia. And that year, uh, football really was my passion. Okay. Uh, I was a big football guy. And uh, coach kind of asked me to come out. You know, I was kind of out there messing around playing basketball. With, and then, you know, football practice or something was getting ready to start. And he said, hey, I want you, you coming out. I want you to come out. And kind of went out and, you know, had a pretty good season. And, you know, got the love back. And, uh I thought, not really understanding the recruiting process, but thinking like, man, I should be getting recruited by this school. <laughs> Where's Virginia Tech? Where's Virginia? Where's Maryland? You know, the high majors, I guess, per se, power five schools. And um, then it was kind of recommended for me to go to prep, prep school. And I was thought I was going to attend uh, Fork Union. And then it just kind of, something just fell through last minute. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I went into the military, uh, you know, just didn't want to stay at home. And uh, just didn't want to kind of get a random job. Uh, my mom was in the Army for a little bit as well. Stepdad retired out of the Army. So uh, didn't want to do the Army, didn't want to do the Marines. Actually, was going to go into the Air Force. Um, the recruiter sold me. I was all in. And uh, I went back to Texas for a little bit. And then when I went to the Air Force recruiter down in Texas, it was just a little different vibe. I didn't connect with him well. Connected a little more with the Navy uh, recruiter. and. That's how I chose it. Man. And then, so so you go through four years in the Navy, and then... Uh, almost six. Almost six. That's six years. Cause you, you were like 28, right, when you hit that shot? Something uh, like that? 26, 27. Okay, well, yeah, 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 yeah so. the, the, the media love that. You know, oldest guy in Division <laughs> One, I think, and all of yeah. that. Um, what led you to IUPUI? Uh, you know, it's kind of a unique story. You know, at the time, um, some, uh, you know, a friend of mine lived out there, you know, someone I was dating, and... Um, I was actually looking at some other schools. I honestly thought I was going to go to George Mason, and I ended up getting out of the uh, Navy a few months early um, than what I was supposed to. And uh, from that standpoint, uh, it was IUPUI, 
Tennessee Martin, uh, little interest from George Mason, some other schools, but those other schools had, you know, kind of scholarships available at the time. And uh, and I kind of connected with the, the the assistant from IUPUI. He came and uh, saw me in, in, in D.C. It was a couple, you know, a few of those schools came and saw me play. And uh, he had been in the military and played for all Marines. And so we kind of connected from mm-hmm. that standpoint. And um, honestly, that's why I ended up cho- choosing IUPUI. And, and you go play for one of my favorite coaches of all time and Ron Hunter. <laughs> uh <laughs> So Valpo at this time, Valpo's rolling through the midcon, which is like the strangest conference, right? You Correct. know, I mean, Oral Roberts, Southern Utah, I mean, Valpo. Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City's there. You got a couple of schools in Michigan and you got Oakland. Oakland. Um, but then you've got, you know, Valpo and IUPUI are probably the two closest schools. So right. was there a bit of a rivalry? I mean, did you, when, when you got to IUPUI, obviously Valpo's winning all mm-hmm. of these things. Did you look at them and say, we got we to gotta figure out how to beat those guys? Well, that was kind of what Coach Hunter always talked about, you know. When uh, to you know be the best team, you have to align yourself and beat the best team, and you have to do what they're doing. And um, you know that's all he kind of always talked about is you know we gotta we gotta beat Valpo. We we have to you know mirror them. We have to I want the success that they've had. You know so it was always you'd always hear it. So then when you play them, you'd be tired of hearing about them all those times in practice or just off season or just in general just talking with them. You'd be tired of hearing about it, so you wanted to go kick their butts, but. You know, it was definitely them. And then, um, you know, for a while, I say it was Valpo, IUPUI, Oakland, Oakland. and Oral Roberts. Yeah, those were are kinda, the four that really. You know, were the, at the top and, you know, would jockey back and forth and were at the top during those times. I, I can remember my senior year of college. I think we've, we've settled on, we talked a little bit beforehand, I think it was maybe your uh, your sophomore year. Valpo comes to your place and you've got them beat. You, you, you've got the game one and Lubosch Barton, Valpo's kind of star at the time, hits a, a game winner at the buzzer. Uh, you remember that game at all? Oh, now that you brought it up, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we're going to bring up another one that I think you'll appreciate. Yeah, no, I definitely remember that game. Actually, I was just talking about that with uh, one of our, one of our guys here uh, the other day, literally, um, because I, I never forget. It was kind of the timeout, and it was just like, hey, they're going to run the play. They're going to run into Lubos. He's going to fake, shot fake, stay down on the fake, and he's going to shoot a pull-up. I'd be darned. That's exactly That's what exactly happened. What happened. Yeah. It rolled around on the rim for what felt like forever. And, 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 and you know, and it was kind of like, um, you know, as competitors, you're mad. And one of the guys kind of like hugs and daps Lubos up. And we're mad at him. You know, like, man, you just beat us. <laughs> Y'all can be friends later, you know. But um, I, I, I remember that. I remember that shot. So. I'm sorry to bring that up. So, uh, so your junior year, mm-hmm. uh, you guys have played Valpo in the tournament a couple of years already. You get to Kansas City now. It's different. It's not Fort Wayne anymore. You get to Kansas City, and uh, you've made it to the title game. And and this is a Valpo team that again they get to the title game every year. They win it every year. Um, I imagine you guys were neck and neck. It wasn't a David versus Goliath thing, was it? No, 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 not at all. Actually. The year prior helped us because we it was it was some weird things that happened, but it was kind of, it was kind of fate. It was um, I think Oral Roberts had an injury. Somebody else had yeah. an injury in Reggie, the tournament. Reggie Reg- Borges broke his Borges ankle. Are, yes, yeah. and uh, you know we ended up playing somebody else, and we won. And P 
people were rooting for us, you know, because they were thinking like, oh, they're going to just whoop out UPUI, you know. And so we ended up winning, winning and getting to the finals, beating Oakland, I think, or Robertson, getting to the finals. Now, we ended up losing that game, but we learned a lot of um, just you have to believe because it was, a, it was a couple teammates that, you know, going to it, they was like, oh, man, because – Honestly, Oral Roberts kind of had our number. We mm-hmm. had Borges, it was a mismatch. I mean, he was Borges a guy that was got, outstanding. Yeah, I think he scored like forty off the bench a couple times. You know, and he was a guy that got buckets, and we didn't have an answer for him. And so, we were, you know, some guys on our team were kind of like only packed for, you know, one game or or you know two. They didn't yeah. expect to be there that whole week and that day off and in the championship game. So. um so, you know, coach used that as fuel of, hey, look, you know, if you can believe, you know, you get there. Now, once you get there that night, you got a chance. You know, now we did end up losing that game, I think, by about 18 to 22 or something like that. But Valpo really played well, and they played well because they'd been there before. Yeah. And, you know, some of some of our guys, we were, you know, surprised, and the moment was just a little too big. So um, just being experienced to go into the finals helped us in that following year. And, we had played them close. I think maybe it split on that year. Um, not for sure. I can't really remember that part. But well, you get to the title game and you guys jumped out to a lead. And yeah. and I mean you you were you were kind of dictating the the flow and the pace of that game throughout. And I think you guys are up five late. Yeah. And uh, Rytus Grafs comes back. I think scores five straight, ties it up, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know right there. Um, and uh, does it does it feel like? Man, you know, we, we kind of had this, and now, I mean, what's what's going through your mind? I know it's 15 years ago, and you've, been, no. you've done a lot of basketball since. but <laughs> No, honestly, what happened, that, that whole day was weird. Like, you know, you know, I think we talked about it before, but uh, that morning was down there at breakfast. I had some injuries. I had, you know, it's like strained ligaments in my wrist. So I was down there with ice, reading paper, and uh, kind of like this. Coach Scott's down there. Coach Drew, he's down there, and, and we end up just talking. And, you know, we talking uh, just about, you know, just life a little bit and then basketball a little bit. And he just kind of goes into, you know, that's the difference. You know, being an older guy with experience, like down here getting yourself ready, you know, we got to kind of fight guys to go get treatment or something yeah. to that effect. And then we just talked for a little bit else and then um, wished each other good luck. You never really run into the opposing coach, you know. Yeah. So that was weird. And then somehow we were talking about it as a team. Um and I think Odell was like, you know, at some point, hey, man, it's, it's going to come down to the end. Just give me the ball. I know you always had a ball in your hands, but give me the ball. I'm going to win the game. And I was like, bro, if it comes down to the end of the game, I'm not passing. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to make the right play, but I'm probably not going to pass it. That's literally what I said. And, um, you know, that day I just kind of meditated, you know, relaxed a little bit and, um, you know, said some prayers. And then we kind of get to the game. So get to the game. Like you said, we're up. Uh, you know, you you know, it's trade basket time, and we end up turning it over. Yeah. You know, we, we 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 inbound the ball, rushed, which we didn't need to do, but we rushed. We get it, turn it over. Up two now. What's crazy is they take a three, and they almost make it. Like yeah. it's off by an inch, and so they get the offensive rebound, grabs, puts it back in. Now we're tied, so, you know, we have to call a timeout. Like 10 seconds left, I think. Yeah, something like that. And so, you know, know, coach is trying to be cool. You know, because prior to that, he had been telling us three stops, three stops, three stops. We get these three stops. We're going to the state tournament, da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, dig in. You know, so we ended up getting some stops to build a lead, but then we gave it away. So 
you know how it goes. You get kind of look at certain guys, and they're like, oh, my God. And the guy that, you know, kind of lost the wall, he was down a little bit. It's like, all right, man, whatever. So a lot of times in our timeouts, like, sometimes it'd be a little chaos. Sometimes, you know, guys – could remember play sometimes guys could. yeah i mean you, and so you know win- coach, reggie miller calls it winning time i yeah. think right so exactly so coach was kind of like hey we're gonna do this and then he was like you know what uh matt just come off and make the play you'll make the right read and that was literally the play that was the play call matt make the right play <laughs> it was i mean because you know i was gonna come off if they help i had shooters um mullins uh josh mullins i had odell so I had guys that could score the ball around me and shot 40-plus percent from three or close to 40, you know. So, you know, if it was always the case, if you help, I was going to kick or I was going to find an open guy. So that was kind of the deal. And uh, just kind of come up the court and, you know, we knew we wanted to kind of get the last shot. So Ten seconds is a long time in, in a way, you know. Yeah. And, and I think you took the shot with – three or two seconds left because there was one second left when right. when you took the shot so uh true to what you said to odell if you have the ball in your hand you're probably not passing it <laughs> um what uh you know what what did you see as you're dribbling up the court here well, I mean, you, you you basically dribbled to a spot and you yeah. took the shot what was well prior to kind of going to the conference tournament um you know coach price he, he was with me he's the head coach at central state now and he, you know, coached at Ball State for a couple of years. Um, he actually um, had pulled me to the side probably those last couple of weeks and really worked on that shot, just working on pull-ups, going right and left. And he was just like, man, you know, sometimes you're getting there too deep. And, um, you know, just because how people are playing this, they're not helping or the bigs here, you, you got to, you know, master the shot. You know, like, all right, man, whatever. It's like, <laughs> whatever, you know. I'm averaging X points, and we winning, you know, whatever. But, you know, he just made me kind of do it, and we worked on it kind of every day, and it just happened. And I never thought, like, oh, I'm about to come down and shoot a pull-up. It just literally was kind of the read. Yeah. So there's one second left on the clock, mm-hmm. and, uh, I mean, your emotions are like, you got to be thinking, we just did this. But Valpo – had proven a couple of years earlier they could go the length of the court. You know, right. they didn't have as much time, but right. but what what do you what are you thinking there? I think it was I don't know if there's a timeout or if it happened yeah, right away. Timeout. Uh honestly, uh when I left the huddle the first time, I was like I felt calm. I felt like we were gonna win the game. Um and as the shot left, I was like, okay. I thought it was going in and I, you know, from that kind of from that point, when we first left the huddle, after he kind of just said, "Hey, make the right read and play," I knew we were going to win the game, and uh, went and made the shot. Timeout. Everybody's kind of happy, and but we're like, "Hey, man, it's still time." Like you said, they've done it before. When we were just like, "Hey, you know, put somebody big on the ball so they can't, you know, throw a clean shot." Let's deny this. And uh, when I think we get a little tip, and then we steal the ball. Mullins stole Mullins the ball. Stole the ball yeah. So, and it was kind of good redemption for him because he was the guy that lost the ball. <laughs> so, coach, uh, coach rips his suit. It's kind okay. of a famous story. Yeah. Uh, uh, how how legit is the uh, the aura around that? This, you know, did Taylor's were Taylor's sending him suits nonstop after that? Or nah, what? he got calls for sure. I mean, you know, his personality is his personality. Yeah. If you're around coach, you know, he can. Uh, 
you know, he's good. He's, I've, he's, I've been out. I've been, been I've been to Vegas during the Super 64 or whatever it yeah. is, 5 o'clock in the morning, walking by the craps tables. Coach Hunter, Jerry Wainwright sitting there <laughs> screaming at the dice. That's great. That's one of my favorite moments. I love, I love Coach. Nah, um, yeah. So, I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, people were calling. I mean, obviously, it was a win-win for them, too, because they gave him a free suit. Obviously, he could tell who it was, and they get some free publicity. But, um, you know, it, it, it happened. Here's a unique thing. So you go to the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. and I think, and I don't know what day you played, if you played Thursday or Friday, but the day mm-hmm. the NCAA tournament started, the United States went to war. Correct. What, what's that like? I mean, uh, you're going into the biggest, I mean, the NCAA tournament is the biggest moment of people's lives, mm-hmm. and yet the military background on you, you your mind's got to be thinking about other stuff, right? Yeah, it was, it was kind of bittersweet because... Actually, prior to us playing, I mean, it officially started, but stuff was happening over there already. Yeah. And uh, one of my friends that I was with, uh, Jaboy Partee, you know, he's from Chicago, actually. And uh, we were stay. he was in the Marines, but I was, you know, in the Navy. And we were in D.C. together. And, uh, you know, just throughout that time, and uh, we've been emailing back and forth and kind of stayed in touch. And he uh, sent me some emails of, like, man, this uh, bombs and stuff, rockets and stuff yeah. going on over our heads and all of that. But he was like, "Man, I'll go win." And so, you know, when you when you like you said, you just put it in the reality of like, it's people really risking their lives, and it's different when you have somebody that you know or close with or families involved in those situations. Because a lot of people don't think about the actual the war and, mm-hmm. and how it really is until you you know it hits home for you but being in the military having some friends um that were actually there and they were able to say hey man y'all go ahead and you know kick kick some butt you know just we're good we're gonna be all right over here it was kind of like you said it was hard to focus on it you know because you're kind of doing that then it it actually war kicks off so then i'm checking and you don't kind of hear back for a couple days because that was like right before we kind of played there was some things happening that transpired prior to us officially announcing we were in a war and uh uh so then we you know you kind of go play and uh i think i think that you know during the anthem you know you you just think about other stuff and um i think it hit me a little bit during that time. Yeah. But then after that, when you're actually playing, you're playing. Yeah. You know, so, you know, before the game, you think about it, but when you're actually playing, you're playing. Anthem got to me a little bit. I think I do remember uh, crying and a little bit. And, um, you know, I think prior to um, prior to us playing, uh, we had like a, you know, it was kind of an interview and something. It was, I never forget, it was me and, Kind of our as Ed all the way our SID and another you know love Ed inter- love Ed doing an interview and we were like kind of in this area and you know we were talking about it and it just got kind of weird you know yeah where it was getting emotional and uh, and because uh, I think we we're gonna air it but I don't think it ever like aired it got I read, it I got just, that weird you doing know? some research to just try to refresh my memory uh, I, I read a New York Times article about you uh, from that time and I yeah. just I thought man that's that had to have been that had been crazy. So you play Kentucky. Mm-hmm. It's funny. The previous year when Valpo went to the tournament, they played Kentucky. Right. And Kentucky is like back then that version of Kentucky was dysfunctional during the regular season, but once they got to the tournament, right. they figured it out. And mm-hmm. they they handed it to Valpo the year before. They handed it to you guys, and mm-hmm. and ultimately uh, 
they got knocked out. One of my favorite games of all time because I'm from Milwaukee. They got knocked out by Marquette later on. D Wade triple double. Um, but uh, when you when you look back on that experience of, of the NCAA tournament, I know that the outcome wasn't there, but I mean, was that's what players strive for, right? Is just to get a chance to get to that. That's it. I mean, you know, being you know, kind of non-power five conference, you just want a chance. And it was obviously it's a little easier now than it was then, but you know, you want a chance to play. Uh, you know, the so-called big dogs and get in the dance. As, as a college basketball player, everybody dreams about playing in the in the big dance, you know, to the whole process, getting your name called, selections on day going, and being part of it, you know, with everybody, I would think, as a college basketball player, that when it happens, you don't forget it. Yeah. Uh, Got to go to 04 really quick, the mm-hmm. final game against Valpo. Mm-hmm. Um, it... Uh, they kind of, they got they got a little bit of revenge on you there. What yeah. how, does when you think back to your IUPUI days and, and your college career? Do, do you does that game resonate in your mind at all? Uh, you know, honestly, uh, I haven't watched that game yet. Okay. You know, um, and usually you, you get a chance where you go back and, and watch some games, and I've never been able to bring myself to watch that game. I just okay. never have um, because you know you, you it's every team's a new team yeah and so you know <clears throat> and that's the message I always you know kind of always tell my players like you have to cherish the right now you can't say oh next year it'll be my time because mm-hmm. you know things happen and you know you, you need to take the, the most out of this moment and so you know we let that one get away you know like you know the year before maybe they felt that way Maybe they were supposed to win, but we had played close throughout the year. But we went into that game like we're the better team. You know, we were confident we were going to win. And it was kind of the same path. You know, we won big in our first game, won big in our second game. And that's what we did the year before. And it was kind of like the same thing. So that experience and all of that helped us. The aura wasn't bothering us. And um, we made a kind of fatal mistake. You're, you're up. And instead of doing the little things to kind of got you up, you know, and, and it was some plays that, you, you, you know, you, you remember, but it was – had a guy wide open. We – not me, but we keep the ball, travel, instead of advancing it, letting him get a shot. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can take your lead up to, uh, I think, you know, to 20 or whatever it may be. You're at 12, 14, 16, 18. And so you just never – we never really put them away. And um, they were in enough distance where they were striking and, you know, they, they got the momentum. I think we're up 13, 14 in the second half. And, uh, you know, I, I they get his name. They chipping away. They chipped away. And uh, Big Bella had a career night. Dan Oplin. Oh, Kikis Gomez. Yeah. Gomez. Yeah. Gomez. You know, it's crazy. Is, uh, you know, he had his career career night. Um, Berdil was a young guy. Ollie. Yeah. Ollie was a young guy at the time. Maybe a freshman or sophomore. But, you know. Um, so they had a they had a good team. Uh, and, you know, I think – we, we, we split that year during the regular yep. season, and I think we ended up because we lost the game late or something, or they won, a, won the count regular by game or whatever it was. It, was, it wasn't like some years previous where they were two, three, four games up winning the regular season. So um, we were right there, and um, it was just like, man, we had the team, and those guys that were on um, that team with me, they never had a chance to experience like those guys that yeah. just came in that were freshmen, um, 
or whatever guys maybe redshirted. Was George Hill on your team yet? Or was no? not. No, okay. He came so he, after I left. Yeah. Played with some other guys, Brandon Cole and some other guys. You know, they they experienced and just thought it would just happen. Yeah. And uh, you know they haven't been back since. Do your players today, your Ball State guys? Do they uh, do they have they looked up the old footage? Uh, well, I know one or two. It's some footage, and maybe not that footage of, of uh, making a shot, but they've seen some footage because me and one of the guys were actually talking about it the other day in practice. Just, you know, some of them, you know, a move here and there. And uh, he was like, oh, maybe you might have had a chance, you know, when in your prime when you were still playing. <laughs> and I was like, no, I would have beat you for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, final thing, you're going back to the arc later on tonight. Um, you've been back, I, th- I think we, you've been back a couple of times. Once yeah. is it uh, is it unique to kind of visit some of these uh, yeah, older gyms? It yeah. is, it is, um, because you know those were like battles, and you, you know I was a person that that really appreciated and respected the game, and always you know at the time you dislike and you, you uh, maybe I ain't gonna say hate, but hate your opponent, you yeah. know, um, just because they're your opponent, but you know you you had to respect. Valpo for what that run that they went on, you know, and at the time I would think people in the Midwest, every mid-major school, not just in the Midwest, in the country, wanted to emulate them of being able to go, I think, 11 straight times or 12. They, they were was, there for a long time, yeah. You know, so um, just to just to do that, and uh, and you know, it wasn't, it was never. Uh, the fans were always good, you know. They, you know, they they just wanted. To have a good game. I mean, of course, they wanted Valpo to win, but it was never anything over the top or too, too, too disrespectful. But you know, the fans can be the fans. But it yep. was, you know, provided the good, you know, the good atmosphere for you know college basketball. It was a good, you know, road road test, which you needed to go win the conference tournament. So, um, so to so to go back to places like I was actually looking around and I was like, man, you know, to see the midcom banners, yeah, you know, and the logo, which you you know you don't see at all ever anymore, obviously, but to see that you know kind of bring back some of the memories and uh one of the games we played and um you know homer always had a unique game plan for us and um and then you know even scott like one one game we they denied me the whole game like the whole first half they denied me put a guy on me really that didn't play a lot out of just guard me full court full court full court and i was dead tired <laughs> you know come the second half and um you know we we ended, i think we ended up winning the game but it was i mean it worked you yeah. know because i was like all right y'all got it go ahead <laughs> and you know our, our offense wasn't as crisp and we didn't get you know certain plays ran and executed properly and then you know i was tired and then you know the last six minutes or so you know it's kind of winning time you know you want to you want to be able to have that extra push and you know, we were able to get through it, but you know, we always had some, some, some great epic battles. I'm, I'm on the, the, the wrong side of the, the tallies, the wins well, and you, losses. You've got but, one of the great moments, one of the great memories of all time. So, yeah. uh, thank you very much, Ball State assistant coach Matt Crenshaw, one of the great competitors to ever go against Valpo and uh, in uh, midcon tournament lore. And uh, so, thank you very much. All right, thank you.